1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. I help companies discover and articulate their purpose to thread it through their culture and operations. I work with organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best, and I provide programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment engagement and productivity you'll learn more about me and how we can work together at elisecortez.com and gusto-now.com let me thank my partner and sponsor workproud we are a perfect collaboration everyone wants to know they matter and that the work they do is important and meaningful workproud helps companies to adjust that through their mobile platform that is built to encourage employees to share their stories and recognize each other's contribution WorkProud empowers HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. Learn more about WorkProud and a recent study they've commissioned about pride in the workforce at WorkProud.com. With us today is Simon Manawaring. He is a founding, he's the founder and CEO of We First, a strategic consultancy accelerating growth and impact for purpose-driven brands. He's a member of the Steering Committee of Sustainable Brands, the Forbes Business Council, and a Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts. He's the author of Lead With We, the, piece, the Business Revolution That Will Save Our Future, which we'll be talking about today on the show. You joined know, today from Los Angeles, California. Simon, welcome to Working On Purpose. Thank you so much,
2: Elise. Great to be here.
1: And remind me again how to say your last name correctly for our listeners. It's actually main, well, it's,
2: it's written main wearing, but it's actually pronounced mannering. So like manoring. table manners, mannering.
1: Mannering, okay, mannering. Okay, I'm gonna get that right, mannering. No problem at all. All right, so I ha- I got to know you originally, believe it or not, kind sir, through our conscious capital- cap- capitalism connections. I've heard you speak many times for that organization. That's how I originally got wind of you. Thanks. So I have heard you speak on some of the matters here that I want to first open the show with that I think are so important to talk about. And you and I were starting to talk about them before we got on air. So if you would, through that brilliant mind of yours, mm-hmm. talk to us about the twin crises you talk about in your book from 20- 2021. You talk about the pandemic, the global pandemic and the racial justice movement. Talk to us about how they have changed how we, how business must respond today.
2: Well, it's a great question because I think even prior to COVID-19, which really sent the world into a tailspin, all of us were already starting to see that these issues, you know, plastic in the oceans, climate crisis, loss of biodiversity, were not just something out there in the future that people who cared about those sort of things kept pointing to, but rather they were starting to impact our daily lives. Fires in Australia, fires in California, and so on and so on. But then what happened was that COVID really not only put us all on notice as to, you know, we've got to respond differently, we've got to show up differently, but it also over time forced us to reflect on what is important and how fragile life is. And what sort of future do we want to define for ourselves? While at the same time, on top of climate, on top of COVID, we had BLM, the Black Lives Matter movement, which really kind of threw into relief long-standing disparities and racial inequalities out there. And so it was this really strange coincidence of circumstances where we're being forced to reflect on our lives and our lives looking forward at a time when the fragility of the natural world and our social systems is really in stark relief right in front of our eyes. And so I think what it did was it accelerated our expectation of business to show up in new ways. And I'll tell you one other thing, at least, which is really interesting. Consumers, customers, employees, investors, regular citizens out there saw business respond in a way they've never seen them do it before. Mm -hmm. Dropped everything, sent their employees home, retooled their supply chains to make PPE equipment. I mean, you can't unsee that. You saw the capacity of business to respond in a crisis, and now they know it's possible.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, one of the, things, first, one of the first few things that I did when the panic was rolling out is I realized from a, from, from a vantage point of business and human capital, and I had had Marcus Buckingham on my show just recently before that, is I thought, oh, my gosh, now is a perfect time for every business to, is to look at every single process that they do, especially related to a human being, and examine if that's still – do we still need to be doing that? Do we still need to require people to be sitting in jobs for two years before they move on to their next job? Things Antiquated systems like that. And so I really saw it, like you said, as a real shake-up, a real wake-up call, a real opening for them to start to change, examine first and change what wasn't working and move into something that was.
2: I I totally agree. And I think not only were we all forced to be more agile in our businesses, I mean, to spin up programs to support the whole human being and employees spin up you know, safety protocols that never had existed before, spin up ways of working remotely. But here's the other thing about it. People think that COVID-19 was an anomaly. A lot of people do, and that hopefully we'll get back to things as normal, whatever that looks like. The reality is this, in my opinion, is that COVID-19 continues to be a pilot program for what life will always look like moving forward, where we will lurch from one crisis to another because they're all interconnected And so my my advice to anybody listening is, take the time to look at how you responded, especially in the first months of COVID-19, and don't see that as a one-off that you can throw away. See that as a pilot or a template for what you're going to have to do again and again, sadly, moving forward, and actually iterate on that and improve on it. So when extreme weather comes along, when biodiversity affects your supply chain, when there is some sort of social crisis for whatever reason, when that happens, you're better equipped, better prepared, and more effective in showing up in a meaningful way, which will not only protect your business, it'll make sure that people, you know, you resonate with people. They'll keep buying your products. They'll keep working for you. So we're all going to have to think of brands as becoming first responders.
1: Yeah, mm, mm, so gorgeous. So as I told you before we got on air, this thing that you created and put into the world, Simon, is just stunningly gorgeous. Look at this book, Lead With Weed. It is beautiful. And, you know, Simon, this is, as we spoke about, this is a hefty work. I don't know how long this took you to create this thing, but this is really dense and beautiful work that you've created here. So what I got out of it, first let me give you a chance to, to respond, is this, this isn't it just a beautiful baby. Look at what you created.
2: There you go. I'm very happy to see it. This being launched, you know, it's launching right now, but what I would say is this. it took three years to put together, but it really is, firstly, the whole book is built on the strength of 10 years of work at my company, WeFirst, mm-hmm. and the whole team where we help define and integrate and, and scale the purpose of different companies. So it's the whole team's effort, but we put a lot of you know, rigor into thinking through not just how do you become a purposeful company, but the, the main problem I wanted to solve was we are not getting far enough fast enough in business. Mm-hmm. So how do we scale and accelerate our response to these crises? in ways that's going to build your business that's the focus of the book
1: mm-hmm and of course the other thing that I gravitated to being that I'm in the meeting and purpose camp of course is it seemed to me that another one of your major major points is, is that it's not enough for us to have just simply a shared purpose but more that we need a collective purpose yeah. so in that beautiful vernacular of yours would you tell us more what do you mean by collective purpose
2: yeah I mean you know Elise, you and I have both been working in this space for some time and what I observed having been lucky enough to work with companies like Tom's and Timberland and so many startups and large enterprises is what's wrong with this picture. And here we're not getting far enough fast enough. And here's my answer. If you look at the vast tapestry of business, all companies in all regions of the world, B2B, B2C, whatever they are, the vast majority of them are still looking after their own bottom line, often at the expense of their people, the environment and so on. I mean, that's the truth. That's the reality. But in them, like like stars in the night sky, we've got all these different growing number of purposeful companies, but we don't have the connective tissue between those efforts to compound, to unlock the synergies between them. And so we're almost self-limiting in that we're working with our, our stakeholders closest to us, like our employees, our, our customers, our you know suppliers, but we need to actually weave the connection between all of these efforts. And here's a distinction I would draw. For a long time, a lot of purposeful companies have thought in terms of you know, the virtuous cycle, do well by doing good. What I talk about in the book is the virtuous spiral of collectivized purpose. And what I mean by collectivized purpose is this, we need a new narrative for business at large. We need to repurpose business as a whole to empower us to live and work and grow together in new ways that restore and protect the natural and social systems on which all of our futures depend. That has to be the overarching purpose of business, the collectivized purpose. Within that, each individual company must do something that's authentic and specific and differentiated to them. It's got to be true to you. So when you do that, this idea of collectivized purpose allows you to see business as a movement of movements. The larger movement is to restore and regenerate the natural and and social systems on which we depend. The movements within that uh, everything large and small companies do to execute against issues that are relevant to them
1: mm. when you were talking Simon I got a picture in my mind and that is like sort of like this 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 on this world swirling whirling of all of these different objects and the different components of the we that you have here the six different components they're all mm-hmm. swirling together and their, their energies are touching each other and swirling each other upward that there's a there's a way for us to be able to, to truly elevate that consciousness that I, I think that you're speaking to.
2: It's very true, and here's my concern. These issues that we're trying to solve for are not sitting there statically in the future waiting for us to arrive, you know, climate crisis just waiting there. They're compounding in the future and hurtling back towards us in the present. Mm, So the, the timelines we're working against are contracting towards us. So the urgency and the need to unlock the synergies and work together in more intentional ways comes from the urgency of those timelines Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. yeah you're right it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if you do more good in your company and i do the same with mine we enable and embolden others to do the same that encourages market forces to reward that more and more which drives capital to go towards those companies more and more which inspires large legacy brands to change what they're doing more and more and it just simply means that business at large can be sort of redirected repurposed sooner so that we can meet these challenges in time because the reality is this after a certain point Elise based on my research and it's within the next decade or so there's a cascading effect beyond which there's nothing we can do whether it's biodiversity breaking down you know President Obama said I think it was yesterday in Alaska he said we're almost out of time on the climate crisis that doesn't mean we have to be pessimistic it just means we need to start working together in new ways.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I am completely and absolutely convinced of that, of course. So what I wanted to do also for the show, um, we've got another two segments after after these last couple last of minutes in this one. And what I really want to do, Simon, is for our listeners, is really break down and, and showcase your virtual spiral of collectivized purpose in action. So if we start with the first bottom component, which is we – um, you talk about, I love, there's a few things that I just picked out that I thought were so interesting and and, and yummy. You say we should think of ourselves as corporate ecologists. I love right. that. All of us, every single one of us. And you also say we must acknowledge neutrality is complicity. Oh, mm. right on. I mean, it's just so many great things. So talk to us a bit more about this we, or this me, excuse me, component.
2: Well, a couple of things. Firstly, we've got to be corporate ecologists in the sense that we've got to start nurturing and growing and enabling businesses that mirror the dynamics within, you know, the living world, the natural system, ecology around us, mm-hmm. where everything Makes is, so inter- you know, interdependent and it's collaborative and it's co-creative. I mean, this is just how you build something that thrives and is sustainable and regenerates over time. Secondly, you know, those who feel like it's a risk to either, you know, course correct what they're doing or have a point of view on a social issue or commit to a cause, you're right. It is a risk. But the reality is this: if you sit on the sidelines. All the research tells us, whether it's from Edelman Trust Barometer Report or otherwise, that you will be penalized by your employees and by customers, and you'll lose those customers and they'll go to a competitor who's clear about the role they're playing in the world. So you, so inaction is a choice. It is a decision, and you will be judged harshly and increasingly punitively. You know, right now there's this positive momentum, let's repurpose business, but very soon as you're starting to see companies, CEOs, products, brands will be really penalized for being part of the problem rather than the part of the solution. So to your question about the virtuous spiral, I'll touch on it very quickly, but imagine in your mind's eye there's an arrow and the bottom of the arrow, the pointy bit of the arrow, goes up. And at the bottom is the really this me first, self-centered, self-directed mentality. And at the top is this collective priority, the we. And wrapped around that is a spiral that's getting wider and wider, a helix. Mm -hmm. Now, each one of the loops in the ribbon of that helix is a different level through which you can scale and accelerate your impact. So at the bottom, you've got me. And that means I've got to choose to lead. Why? Because we're in this mess together because of everything that you at least did, that I did, the cars I drove, the products I bought. We got into this mess together and we're going to have to work to get out of it together. So we've got to unlock our individual agency in terms of where do I bank? What products do I buy? Where do I work? What car do I drive? What's my diet like? All of these are not just inconsequential choices. These are ways that you can feel like you're part of the solution by contributing to doing more good and less bad. Mm-hmm. Above that, and, and one couple of points on that, you know, the, the UN climate, you know, the, and COP26 recently said it's code red for humanity. And the Lancet Planetary uh, Health Report said 56% of young people around the world feel humanity is doomed. So we better be on point. I mean, do we need any more urgency than that? And then if we go to the next level, you've got leaders inside companies. Now that could be the founder, it could be the CEO, but it could be anyone inside a company that chooses to lead. And they've got to define the purpose of the company, integrate it and bring it to life. And I'll give you some examples. Walmart, the biggest retailer in the world, has recently announced Project Gigaton where they're working inside their company with their suppliers to pull a gigaton of carbon out of the air, of greenhouse gas emissions. Amazing. Mind-boggling. Or but Deloitte, one of the biggest consulting firms in the world, is now educating their 330,000 employees about the climate crisis. Again, working internally with your employees to equip them to play a more meaningful role. So you've got me choosing to lead. Then you've got leaders inside a company, defining your purpose and bringing it to life. Then you've got the culture above that—the culture of your employees, of all of your stakeholders inside your company—and
1: you um, have- hold on just a second. I want—I don't want, i want to make sure we get this all. And got to grab a first break. So hold that thought. We'll come absolutely, back to culture. Absolutely. No Wait. problem. Don't you run away, any of you. All right, I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on the year with Waring, author of Lead With We, The Business Revolution That Will Save Our Future. We've been talking a bit about where this book came from and why it's so essential. After the break, we're gonna hear more about his explanation of this spiral he's been talking about and introducing. Stay with us, we'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Working on Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the program. Before we get back into the content, I want to invite you to check out the book that I got out last November of 2020. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elate Cause, which is on Amazon. I wrote the book to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and help transform them into inspirational leaders who enlighten the workplace and elevate the contribution of business to all its stakeholders. If you're just joining us now, my guest is Simon Manawaring He's the founder and CEO of We First, a strategic consultancy accelerating growth and impact for purpose-driven brands. He's the author of "Lead with We: The Business Revolution That Will Save Our Future." I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So we talked before the break about two of your uh, your pieces, me and leaders. You were on culture next, I believe.
2: Absolutely, and imagine these are again up an arrow with a spiral around it me at the bottom, then leaders, we're up at the third level, which is your company culture. And that is about co-creating impact together. And I'll I'll give you, you know, just one example. You've got uh, Michelob Ultra, which is a beer company working with its suppliers, its farmers out into the field and through its contract for change, it's actually paying them to transition to regenerative practices in their agriculture and their farming. You know, you're starting to see companies working inside their organization in very, very unexpected ways, To mitigate risk to their reputation, to really galvanize their employees around something purposeful. And, you know, one more example, Timberland's path to service. Every year, 90% of their employees go out and plant trees all around the world. And that really just reconfirms to them the role they're playing. And that makes work more meaningful to all their, you know, the, the employees who show up every day. So above culture, you get to the next level, which is community. And community is your customers. And sometimes people think, oh, that you it's about marketing. But I don't think of it as marketing. I think of it as community architecture, where you're building a community that will drive a movement that creates the change you want to see out there. And I'll give you a couple of examples. IKEA in Europe and now in the US just in the last couple of weeks have announced that they'll actually buy back old ikea furniture that that you don't want anymore we've all had all the frustration of building it in the first place but now they'll buy it back to create that circular economy in its own supply chain at the same time ikea in europe is now selling renewable energy to its customers so that their households can become climate positive so suddenly an affordable furniture maker is becoming an energy provider so that people look at the brand and go, wait a second, they're not just giving me the furniture I need, they're a platform through which I can make meaningful choices that are responsible to my future, and it deepens the loyalty to the brand. And then above community, we go up to the level of society. And at the level of society, this is where brands talk about women's empowerment, same sex marriage, access to voting, you know, uh, post traumatic stress disorder, all these different issues that you've seen brands weighed into. A couple of great examples. Procter and Gamble, one of the largest you know, consumer packaged goods companies in the world, have really waded into the racial bias dialogue with their campaign called The Look, where they're really calling out people, you know, white people, about the biases against people of color or for multicultural backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So even when you're, you're incredibly consumer sensitive, like a CPG company would be, they're wading into highly complex and sensitive topics. And then finally, and just in your mind's eye, up this arrow with the spiral, you've gone from me to leader, to culture, to community, to society. At the top, you have transcendence, which is really about where we transcend selfishness to the point that we are working in harmony with nature. And we have this sy- restored that symbiotic relationship. And I'll give you two examples. One is the 2030 calculator, which won the Grand Prix at the Cannes Advertising Festival this year, which basically empowers businesses of any size to f- define how, what's the carbon footprint of what they're making and share that with consumers so that we can make informed choices. Or small innovative companies like Bolt Threads that are decoding the DNA of spider webs to make eco-silk that they're using in to, to with Stella McCartney to make 100% biodegradable tennis dresses. You that is know, so cool. It is so cool when we realize that around us are littered all these biological blueprints Mm -hmm. that provide the solutions we need in our lives in ways that serve nature rather than stealing from it. And I think, you know, that's the transcendent level.
1: Okay, a couple things. So I had Christian Cromy on my show. He is from, do you know him? He's from the Netherlands. He Mm -hmm. talks also very much about integrating natural processes into, you know, sort of evolutionary and consciousness-raising causes and processes, a lot like you're talking about, which I think is just brilliant. So I want to go back to each of those levels and and revisit some of the things that I pulled out that I thought were really interesting from your book. Sure. Um, because one of the things I do on this show, Simon, is it, the, the conversation, this is a six and a half year running show, 355 episodes. We really are advancing the conversation on how to create workplaces where people actually want to come to work. We, we have leaders that actually bring them to their greatness and we do business that betters the world. That's what the show is all about. So Each conversation has got to advance that conversation. Right. So um, so one of the other things that you said that I thought was really interesting on the me level was that we consumers need to use our money to hold businesses accountable. Right. Say more about how we can do that.
2: Well, you know, increasingly consumers are aware that they're voting with their dollars every day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And there's been this deceit going on or conceit that we didn't really know what the carbon footprint of that packet of crisp packaging was or this car I'm driving. Really, we had no line of sight to make informed decisions. And so now consumers are voting with their dollars in the shopping aisle. And you've seen this massive pivot towards responsible, you know, products. Just think about the opportunity that's here. Clean food, food has gone through the roof, the whole sort of transition in the food industry. Clean beauty, beauty products of all types now touting their way. You know, sustainable footwear and apparel. Every brand out there is now talking about their sustainability credentials. Well, just look at the auto industry. You know, 10 years ago, Elon Musk started Tesla and the traditional industry tried to put him out of business. Mm -hmm. Here we are, 10 years later, he's the richest man in the world. He's on his way to being the first trillionaire and every large automaker in the U.S. has committed to alternative energy vehicles by a certain day. Massive transformation in one decade. So all of this is to say that consumer demand through the power of the dollar is incentivizing companies to change the way they make things and how they take them to market because we all realize by looking at our phones every day how much trouble we're in and increasingly we're not just going to reward companies that are doing the right thing we're going to punish those why because you know this is our future at stake it's your kids future it's my kids future and we're going to be increasingly impatient with it as these issues become more serious
1: mm-hmm. mm. Beautifully said. Okay, then on the leader level, there's a couple of things I wanted to drill down on, too. That first, you talk about the, the need to rewrite the story of the successful CEO. How right. so?
2: You know, for a long time, I'm a CEO, an entrepreneur, but I've also had staff jobs for 15, 20 years of my life and run sort of large organizations. The challenge I often find is that we to traditionally map the same hierarchical mentality across from our supply chain or our org structure to how we think of us as a leader. We're at the top, you know, our decision, our way or the highway, et cetera, et cetera. I think today leaders need to lead with empathy, which is a deep understanding of the daily experience of their employees, of the challenges and stresses on their consumer, of the cost to the environment, of the reality, the daily life reality, of the vast majority of people around the world. And from that position of empathy to approach leadership in a much more collaborative sense, which is, I'm not at the top telling you what to do. I am part of a platform, the company, on which employees, customers, partners all stand and go out into the world and co-create the future that will best serve us all. And that sounds like a subtle shift, you know, from top down to bottom up, mm. but it changes everything. It changes mm-hmm. everything. And that's what Lead With We is all about. If you're a CEO or you're a founder or a, you're a solopreneur and you, you know, you're you're your kitchen table just starting a company, It's a decision-making filter where you can sit there and go, whether it's payroll, whether it's your product, whether it's your marketing, how do I lead, choose to lead with, with as many people as possible, we, to benefit the greatest number of people and the environment. It's a very simple tool, but it changes everything in terms
1: of what actions you take. That's brilliant. It really is brilliant. And then, of course, I want to hear about the five traits that you mentioned of purpose-driven business leaders today. How do you categorize that, those five?
2: You know, It's interesting. Business business leaders today, what would I say? I think if I was going to oversimplify, I'd say we have to recognize that we all have much greater agency in our lives than we might think otherwise.
1: Mm. You know,
2: every one of us have every hat that we wear in our lives from father, brother, you know, son, consumer, citizen, employer, voter. We've got to unlock the agency across all of those. And the key trait here is that you have to consciously choose to lead, and I'm 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 going to lean into this a little bit because I have an objection to the idea of stakeholder capitalism, and let me explain
1: why. Mm, I'd love to hear that.
2: There's a big dialogue around the shift from you know shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. Yes. Me- meaning, you know, in the past it was just as long as the shareholders do well, we're all good, and damn the rest. And now it's like, oh no, everybody's got to you know share in the benefits of you know capitalism and it spoils. I hear so much talk about people sharing in the rewards of capitalism more broadly, but I don't hear enough talk about people sharing in the responsibilities of it. Mm -hmm. And the reality is this, no one billionaire, no one industry, no one company is gonna solve this issue for us. We all need to show up differently. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the sort of defining traits of a leader, I think it really does turn on this fulcrum of do I choose to lead? Wherever I sit in a company, wherever I am in life, and if you think this is unrealistic, if, if you're listening to this you know, with release and you go, yeah, that sounds great, never going to happen, just look at what happened with the beginning of COVID-19 and the crisis. We've all done unimaginable things. We have sent our employees True. home. We wear masks. We don't see each other. We work from home. We homeschool. All these things that were inconceivable 14 months ago. Why? Because we're all facing a crisis that's larger than ourselves.
1: Mm, yes. You know
2: what? The climate crisis, biodiversity, plastic, all of these issues are interconnected and they're much larger than us and we're gonna be in a state of constant crisis moving forward. And so we need to show up differently. And I think we've been kicking the can down the road since the 50s and Buckminster 4 and here we are and now we're in the 2020s, we've had a global pandemic and according to the heads of state and scientists from around the world at COP26, we're out of time. So we need to show up meaningfully not in a pessimistic doomsday way, but to recognize that every one of these challenges is a marketplace opportunity in disguise, and if we solve for it, these market forces will drive our growth.
1: Okay. So this is so interesting, Simon, this idea of, you know, objecting to stakeholder capitalism. Why? Because you need to inject the responsibility piece in there. You do talk in your book about, I don't remember exactly how you say it, but something like next level capitalism or, you know, capitalism on steroids or something like that. Is that what you're referring to?
2: Yeah, I mean, imagine, here's the thing why I'm so optimistic. Right now, we have a legions of entrepreneurs that want to transform business and, and and our future. We have exponential technologies that can provide solutions at scale. Mm-hmm. We have the wake up call of COVID. You know, we have legacy thinking and business leaders shifting their thinking. Larry Fink at BlackRock, the Business Roundtable, B Corp CEOs and so on and so on. Any one of those issues, would be transformative in business. Together, it's unbelievable what we can do. So when I talk about repurposing capitalism, putting it on steroids, it's really about leveraging the reach, resources, and expertise of capitalism across the breadth of the sort of things that I was describing and allowing that to compound. And to give us one hint of what that was like, at the beginning of COVID, when the planes weren't hit, or, you know, when, when everything kind of quietened down, people weren't flying and all these different things, we saw how quickly nature regenerated. We
1: mm-hmm. saw how the
2: skies cleared. Yes. Just think that if we enabled new practices that allowed us to not only do that, but to build business around this premise of actually serving nature and to do things more sustainably, I think we'd be shocked at the regenerative power of nature, of its inherent abundance. And we would suddenly find that we can work with nature, still get all the things that we need in our lives and it will build businesses. And even Bill Gates said the other day, he said last week, that there will be 10 Teslas and an Amazon and a Google created just out of climate tech. And there's just such a vast business opportunity out there. So don't be pessimistic, roll up your sleeves, look at these problems and say, How do I lead with we in a way that's going to provide solutions at scale? And you will build one of the most significant businesses moving forward.
1: Oh, what an inspiring way to send us on our last break, Simon. Hold that note. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Simon Manawaring, who is the author of Lead With We, the business revolution that will save our future. We've been talking more about the components of the virtual spiral of collectivized purpose and action that he has created. After the break, we're gonna hear a little bit more about that as well as what he's up to that he's most proud of. Stay with us, we'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Working On Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working On Purpose. One other bit of news I have to share with you is that the anthology that I was working on for the last two years, I've been out looking for 25 women to share their intimate stories of how they discovered their purpose and are now serving from it. It's now out. It came out in August. And so it's called Passionately Striving and Why, an anthology of women who persevere and widely to live their purpose, it's on Amazon. And I have to tell you, I am actually more proud of that book and those women than I am my, my own first book. So take a look at it. <laughs> if you're just joining us, my guest is Simon Manawaring. He is the founder and CEO of We First, a strategic consultancy accelerating growth and impact for purpose-driven brands. He's also the author of Lead with We, the business revolution that will save our future. So digging further into this, assignment, one of the other, a few other things that you said that I just I had to come and, and bring forth for our listeners and viewers is, in terms of um, the the community piece of things, this idea of regenerative lifestyles, which you talked about more, you talked already about in the, in the last segment, which is so interesting. But I think it bears more mentioning. I have the privilege right now of working with um, an organization here in Dallas called Lord Green Strategies, and their ESG, sustainability, resilience, etc. In commercial real estate, right. and one of the things that they do. We've just worked with their purpose statement, of course, and they are one of the components of that is that they celebrate nature as our celebrity, nature is our celebrity, right? Sure, sure. And I just think it's just beautiful and so compelling. But this notion, though, of re- regenerative lifestyles, um, you talk about shifting from marketing to movement making and move, moving consumers to activate more regenerative lifestyles. So say more about that. You said a little bit about that at the beginning or in, in the last segment, but what does that really mean, regenerative lifestyles?
2: Yeah, just firstly, the presumption of how to communicate and engage consumers, I want to explain that first. And as I'm a marketer for 20, 25 years, and I was a writer on Nike at their ad agency for a long time and, mm. and, and you know, had a vast experience in the advertising world. And all I'd say is this, too often brands talk in a self-directed way, even when they're being purposeful, and consumers don't listen because ultimately it's about them still you need to be the celebrity rather than... You, you need to be the celebrant rather than the celebrity of your stakeholder community. So mm-hmm. it's going to be shared in terms of their purpose statement. So to do that, you've got to shift from marketing to movement-making,
1: mm-hmm. from
2: advertising to advocacy, from calls to action to calls to activism. And just that shift in mindset will completely refocus the ideas you bring to market, how you communicate, what you say, and so on. With mm-hmm. that in mind... Consumers have an opportunity now to not just leverage their dollar in the shopping aisle, but to really be part of this regenerative uh, thrust in business at large, in capitalism, and how we live our lives. What does that look like? It looks like saying, great, I'm going to drive an alternative energy vehicle. Or you know, ride a bike or do anything, you know, so many changes are happening. Barcelona has just, the city of Barcelona has just declared green zones where, you know, they're actually planting new trees and you don't have any transportation on there. I mean, cities with their congestion and urban density are reimagining themselves completely. It's also about looking at your diet, at the very least, having a mix of plant-based alternatives because of the impact that it has on the environment. Mm -hmm. But these are small ways that you can do less bad. But what we're really talking about with regenerative is doing more good. And I'll give you some examples. Interface, the carpet tile company, has made a carpet tile that draws carbon out of the air You know, and then what they've done is they made a tool called the EC3 tool and shared it with everyone else in the built industry, the construction industry, so that you can make things that have a lesser carbon impact. They can go about making things, you know, apartments, homes and so on in ways that have a lesser carbon impact than they would otherwise. Also look at the banks that you put your money in. Look at where you put your pension funds and your retirement accounts and so on. Each one of these institutions are enabling certain other companies to thrive in the background you know and are they oil and gas companies you know that really aren't working towards a regenerative future and so on so if you look at your life instead of throwing your hands up and saying hey I'm powerless and these issues are bigger than me and I I feel hopeless you can look at it and say every choice I make is another lever I can pull for a certain type of future And regenerative means not just doing less bad as in buying, stopping buying products or habits that, you know, do harm overtly to the natural world, but actually investing in companies that are, you know, carbon positive or that are giving back to the natural world or that are restoring local communities or that are empowering nonprofits. And when you do that, suddenly you recognize that you and somebody else and somebody else can aggregate your efforts in a way that it'll take on a life of its own and you'll start to accelerate that momentum. And that's when we're going to meet these challenges with equal force. Without it, I don't think we'll get there in time and the time is now. So we should all embrace it. We are not powerless. We should be hopeful. And there are simple choices we can make every day.
1: Mm-hmm. And then now that notion, Simon, of of, of connecting so that we are, we've are we got a greater sum than, than the, the parts of the whole is what I heard you say really in many ways. That also relates to what you also talk about which is notion of, of transcending, in terms of societal, competition through radical collaboration. Nobody, wait, I had Paul Skinner on talking about collaborative um, um, a collaboration instead of competitive. Collab- so what do you mean by radical collaboration?
2: Well, you know, one of the easy ways of sort of thinking about it is collaborating with unlikely partners. And I'll give okay. you an example. Mm-hmm. So here in California, we have a 30 year old um, apparel company called Prana and they wanted to take the plastic out of their supply chain because they just saw that when people were opening their products and so on, there was just plastic and a lot of packaging. We see it with Amazon every day when we order things, right? Yeah, certainly do. And so they sat there and they actually worked out how to fold their products in a way that they could be transported without, without plastic. In that one year, they started this at the end of 2019, they took 10 million plastic bags out of their supply chain, 10 million. They have since opened up that technique to other companies and now 106 major companies have joined what's called the responsible packaging movement and just think about it if one company a relatively small company has got rid of 10 million plastic bags times that by 100 over 100 other companies simply by opening up and sharing your ip another example procter and gamble and walmart are collaborating on programs to educate consumers how to buy products more responsibly in terms of the environment and their impact. So it's not just providing the products, it's the education so that people can make a better, more informed choice. And so, you know, you're starting to see these coalitions, these pre-competitive collaborations going on where people are saying hey, let's do less bad together. Let's level up our whole industry and then let's tell that story together to consumers and better inform them so they can work with us as well to provide part of the solution to buy the better products.
1: It's so inspiring and so right. I just think it's so so important to talk about and celebrate. Okay, so we've been talking up to now about your, your perspective that you've been developing over the course of your career and certainly what's in your book. What I want to do next, Simon, if you don't mind, is I, I really understand that you really are a living, breathing, lead with we person. And your entity, your company, everything, it's all connected. So I would love to hear about a couple of initiatives or business cases that you've worked on that you're really proud of, that you really feel like really made a difference.
2: Thanks for asking. I mean, a couple of things. Firstly, we're B Corp, best for the world. I love that, you saw that, yes. Yeah, this year, and also a uh, real leader's top 100 impact companies in the U.S. So, you know, we're trying to do work that is meaningful. Um, all the work we do is enabled by our partners, our client partners. And I'll give you a few examples. So during COVID, or just prior to COVID, then during COVID, we worked with Maybelline, the makeup company, mm-hmm. to help them support young women around mental health issues. And we worked with them to create this platform called Brave Together, because, you know, mental health issues are something that people outright, but young teenage girls and so on may be less, relic- you know, less likely to talk about. So it was working with Crisis Text Line to provide mental health support so young girls could actually reach out on the strength of the brand platform and get the help they need. Another one would be, for example, Timberland. We redefined their purpose and positioning, positioning globally not long ago because so many other companies were now starting to use um, similar sustainability language. And as a result of that work, they've launched campaigns that is, Nature Needs Heroes, which is a 50 million tree tree planting initiative, to you know obviously repopulate the planet with trees, draw down carbon, and so on and so on. So very proud to see that initiative, you know, taking place globally around the world. And then another one at an enterprise level. So I'm going from a small company to you know a well-known global brand like Timberland to an enterprise level. We work with VF Corporation, which is a $14 billion apparel company that at the time had 26 brands, including Timberland, the North Face, Vans, and they all do amazing work in their own right, but we rolled out their purpose for them across their, at the time, 72,000 employees in over 100 countries. And with that in mind, a couple of powerful proof points about doing this work for real. VF led the boycott of leather from Brazil in protest of the burning of the Amazon. They disrupted their own apparel supply chains on a global scale to protest the, the burning of this Mother Nature's biodiversity kitchen, you know, which is really the Amazon. Similarly, not long after that, Via uh, North Face, which is one of their brands, led the boycott of Facebook in protest over hate speech. Mm. Again, biting the hand that feeds, you know, they sell on Facebook, they have ads on Facebook. So whether it's Maybelline with Crisis Text Line whether it's tree planting initiatives with Timberland, whether it's a corporation like VF boycotting, you know, leather from Brazil to, to preserve the Amazon, it's not just about having a pretty purpose statement and integrating it in your culture. It's walking your talk and making a difference in people's lives. And so, you know, there's some of the examples of the work that we're proud of, but it really is, it's a credit to the brands. You know, we are there to support them, but if they didn't want to do it themselves and they weren't willing to invest the time and the capital, it wouldn't happen.
1: Mm-hmm. But what I also really appreciate about what you're talking about, Simon, is just the way that you can really interject, intervene, and elevate agency and scale by the work that you're doing. It's just, it's so inspiring and so important and so necessary.
2: No, thank you. We, I sat back, like anybody else, in 2007, 2008, I just sat there and thought, what's wrong with this picture? You know, there was the global economic meltdown. Business isn't serving enough people well enough. To, it just seems to be serving a fewer and fewer number here we are again, that things are even worse. And if I, I, look up, I look at government, I say it's pretty much, you know, gridlocked with partisanship and, you know, corruption and, and uh, lobbying and all these other issues we hear about every day. At the same time, NGOs and foundations and, and nonprofits have limited resources. Who's the elephant in the room? It's business. <laughs> That's exactly we, right. We're creating half the problems mm-hmm. and we have the expertise and reach and resources to scale the solutions. And so, I don't see this as a negative time I see this as a time how would I characterize it this is not the end of something this is the truly miraculous rebirth of business Mm -hmm. Uh, appropriately painful like any birth as a dad might say but you know I would say this we are starting to witness the awakening of business where we serve nature rather than steal from it yes and and when we do that nature will dazzle us with its regenerative capacity if we just give it half a chance and we're going to fall in love with the natural world all over again Mm -hmm. we're going to realize that everything we need is right in front of us and we've been looking past it and we're going to see that we're going to start reconnecting to each other as a human family and to the planet we all share why because our very survival depends on it not because Mm -hmm. we suddenly grew up woke up and grew a conscience but because our survival literally depends on it Mm -hmm. that's a good reason
1: I think. I, I think it's a great reason. In, in fact, really quick, I have to insert, have you seen My Octopus Teacher?
2: I have, and it was just a very powerful example of the absolutely unfathomed potential connection with the natural
1: world that I is know. just waiting for us. I know. That's why I put it in there right there. I have had uh, Swati she who's, who's the associate producer on the show, talking about it. And so anyway, it's a perfect place to put that. And guess what, Simon? We're already out of time. So it's saying about... 20 seconds. How would you like to leave our listeners and viewers?
2: You know, here's what I'd invite you to do. Go to Amazon or LeadWithWe.com and buy the book. And for yourself, it's a blueprint which gives you a step-by-step plan to follow so you can do this in your own company. Based on all our 10 years of work with these great brands, put it all in there in a programmatic way so you don't have to think through it. It's all just there. Secondly, I would ask you, buy a second copy and give it to an entrepreneur or a corporate person you know needs to hear this or might be open to it in their own self-interest because it's going to propel their growth moving forward. So a copy for yourself and a copy for somebody else so you can double your impact. And then I would love people to talk about it on social. Just share the book Lead With We on Social whichever way you can. The reason is this is not about moving books. It's about moving minds and hearts and behaviors fast so that we can actually launch this new era of business and really have a future to look forward to.
1: I'm in, Simon. I'm in. I'll help spread the word. Thank you. Thank you so very much for being with us, Simon. This has been so incredibly inspiring, so educational, and elevating. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you,
2: thank you Elise, and thank you to all your listeners. And thank you. Let's let's show up together and see what we can do.
1: I'm in. Let's do it. If you want to learn more about Simon Manawaring, as we were talking about the, the work he and his team does, or his book, you can go to leadwithwe.com, as you mentioned, as he mentioned. You can also go to Amazon and just type in "Lead with We" or his name, Simon Manawaring, and find his book quite easily. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on there with Uni Turatini from Oslo, Norway, talking about the dangerous loneliness crisis, how it costs organizations, and how relational energy and purpose can ameliorate it. Next week, we'll be on the air with Delilah Skeb of in Lebanon, talking about her launch of Logotherapy Mina to use Logotherapy and Meaning teaching in the Middle East and Northern Africa to build peaceful and productive nations in the region. A big ambition, making the most of her one precious life promises to be an incredibly inspiring conversation. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, So let's work on purpose.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.